He's a police officer in New England in kind of idyllic Norman Rockwell setting, or at least you would think. He'll share the good, the bad, and the ugly. He's also the host of a very, very popular podcast. He's coming up on the Law Enforcement Today show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders. Because at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. Under programs, you'll find details about Shatterproof. Joining us from New England area, we have Stephen Gould on the phone. Stephen is a police officer in New England and has been for quite a while. He's also the host of the very popular podcast, Things Police See. Stephen, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Oh, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's been a long time coming. We've been in communication back and forth, email and other things for quite a while. I'm a big fan of what you do. And as I alluded to earlier, you didn't get to hear this. There is a misconception in America about policing. It's always violent and it's always horrible. It's always traumatic. And in some case, my cases, it was. Uh, that's not the case in all of them. Some of them are either going to be like the Norma Rockwell hallmark type scenario or ultra violent and yours is kind of like leaning towards the normal rockwell isn't it yeah it's 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 pretty good i don't have too many complaints you know it's um i actually just had a conversation on the podcast about this with another officer but he was from a bigger city but i said you know in the in the more rural areas it's um and the clientele that we deal with is it's it's probably 90 percent good folks who are having a bad day and 10 percent those real bad guys, you know, so we're, we're, we wear a lot of different hats, um, you know, out in the, out in the country, but, uh, I really like the, the style of policing that I'm doing. Back in the day, we had a term before advent of politicians wanting to do more with less and changing the way policing was, we had a term called policing. Now they call it community policing. And it, it sounds a lot like what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That community policing, um, term catchphrase is what all all the politicians and uh high up police administrators like to throw around but uh yeah it's just it's just normal policing you're out there in the community you you know i go to the i'll go to the country store i'll go to the the local market whatever get a cup of coffee chat with people get to know the community they get to know you um it's great it's really rewarding in a in a smaller area to do that and uh you know a lot less of a burnout rate than the big cities for sure one of the things that happened in my career is, you know, in Baltimore, I always worked 
some of the most violent high crime areas. And you made a point earlier in the conversation, which is really true. About 85 to 90 percent of all of our interactions were with people who've never been in trouble. They, they're, they're not they're hardworking, honest folks, good people, the salt of the earth. The other right. 10 to 15 percent are criminals. And of that 10 to 15 percent are criminals doing criminal things, only one to two percent were hardcore criminals and violent. The vast majority were not. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That the very small percentage of, um, you know, I've been in law enforcement now about 15 years and I have met some truly evil people, um, but it, it was uh, very rare, thankfully, that, that I ran into them. But um, yeah, I, I agree with those numbers. Absolutely. So you said you've been in about 15 years. Am I correct? You were in law enforcement for it, left it and then came back? Yes. I had a little, a, a bit of a walkabout, a little siesta. <laughs> I did um, I did four years as a natural resource officer on Cape Cod, which is kind of like um, like a local game warden position. I did ten years as a, a this, you know police officer, and then my wife and I kind of um, we we rented our house out. We we got in a camper and RV with our two young kids, and we drove cross, cross country the West Coast in our sights, um, just just looking for a change. We'd been born and raised, lived in the the same town our whole lives, and we're looking for, for something different, you know? So kind of California dreaming at the exact wrong time. So we pulled into California in late 2016 and, um, you know, it didn't, it, yeah. it went down downhill from there, but, uh, we'll just say this, it wasn't big city dreaming. Cause you could have easily gone from Cape Cod to Boston or to New York. Right. It was a West coast dream. It was a California dream. And I'll be honest with Stephen, I had some of those dreams before, Let's just say this. I don't want to get in political conversation. Before the bottom fell out in that state, right. uh, and my sister, who lived there for years, left. She said, I can't take it anymore. The politics, the taxes, she just can't take it. Uh, so we're not going to beat that that horse because it's a beautiful state with beautiful people, but I just don't get what they do. Yeah, I agree. And you know, there is there is something about the West where I don't know if it's because I grew up in the Northeast and the, all the trees are very tall and you can't see far most places. But when we got, you know, when we had visited the West, you can see those the mountains off in the distance, the plains, the high desert. They have the ocean. I mean, they truly have everything to enjoy. Just um, some, you know, questionable leaders who are making it difficult to enjoy. Let's say. So you left for a while, then you came back to law enforcement, and you you came back to your hometown area in New England. Yeah, well, we came back to the um, western part of uh, Massachusetts. So I'd worked on um, Cape Cod. And then when we came back, when we were the last year, the four years we were in Southern California, we ended up with some uh, chickens and some uh, guinea hens and some dairy goats, believe it or not. We were kind of had a little homestead going. And we wanted to do that in Massachusetts. But, um, you know, buying four or five acres in Cape Cod, I don't know if people know this is very difficult. You have to be a very wealthy man to do that. So Western Mass, a little bit more affordable. They need police officers, too. And here we landed. I'm sitting there thinking this. You left Cape Cod, went to California, you, your wife, your kids, starry-eyed, all these dreams, and you came back to Massachusetts, kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies with goats and dogs and chickens and all that stuff. (laughs) Absolutely. My family thought we were crazy. We pulled in like a few days before Christmas with a stock trailer uh, filled with our things and three goats. And they're just, you know... They couldn't believe it. You know, who who does that? Who goes to California to return with uh, livestock? But, uh, yeah, that's what we did. 
that right there kind of s- smashes the stereotypes that Hollywood loves to put out about police officers, American police officers. They they always portray them as being like the the John Wayne types, the Clint Eastwood types, all these other ones. I'm not saying they're bad. I grew up with those. Uh, however, it, it is not shoot 'em ups, and it's not drinking and everything else and cursing. You you are the exact opposite of that. You've got chickens and goats, guinea hens, all these other things. Happily married guy, and you've been in law enforcement for quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a family man, you know, and I care about the the land and being a good steward of all the things uh, God's given me. And uh, I try to I try to live that out and in my job as well. I don't I don't do police work for the money. The you know I did at one point when I took my break. I I had uh, a stint for a couple of years as an insurance investigator and enjoyable work, paid way better than being a cop. But there's always, I think once you're a police officer, and I'm sure you'll agree, there's there's kind of a, it's a, it's a calling, you know, it's corny to say that, but it, I felt pulled back to the profession because it is, regardless of the money you make, and you can make extra by putting the extra hours in, you feel it's very purposeful. You, you are doing something for mankind, for your community. Uh, it's, you know, I have buddies who, who make millions of dollars and uh, they're happy. You know, they say they're happy, but they're, their work is not regarded as almost meaningless. You know, they're working for giant corporations and to them, they're not, I need that. I'm one of those people that need to fill that hole. I need to feel like I'm doing something for people. There's a gratification level of serving. And I know it's that we talked about this. It sounds corny to protect and serve and to help people try to help people solve their problems, get solutions to situations that are going on, which is 95% of what policing is all about. We're talking with Stephen Gold. He's an active duty police officer. He's also host of the very popular podcast, Things Police See. This is Law Enforcement Day Show. We're going to take a short break. I promise you, we got so much more heading away. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420 or online at fhehealth.com. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. This 
is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Return our conversation with Stephen Gold. We'll call him Steve. That's what he likes to go by. He is a police officer in New England, has been for about 15 years. He's also the host of the very popular podcast, Things Police See. And I've had a chance to check out your podcast, and we'll talk more about that at length in a few moments. There's kind of a contrast here, Steve. You talk about Things Police See. I, I don't tell my story very often. I was a guest on a couple shows and did little glimpses. And quite honestly, there's things about my story that I don't talk about because I'm not comfortable talking about. And it, I have the same last name as my daughters, my wife, my ex-wife, my sisters, my mom. So a lot of reasons I don't talk about certain things. And some of them, uh, you see, you just can't unsee. And even you work in smaller agencies where it's idyllic, kind of like the normal Rockwell situation, there, there's trauma they're exposed to. You, it's unavoidable. It'd be accidents, house fires, un, unexpected deaths, suicides, all those things. They take a toll. I imagine you're not immune from that. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, like you said, it's um, it might be a slower pace if you work in a rural area. But uh, people got to remember too. You're a lot of times you you're gonna go to these calls. Uh, might maybe not as frequently, but you're also gonna be very alone for could be up to half an hour. You know before. Um, you're getting some backup or somewhere there to help you. So that, that feeling was something I had to get used to in my job now where I'm kind of um, a little bit more remote and uh, you know, help isn't necessarily right behind you. I remember when I went to police Academy, went to a regional Academy and the city guys loved the fact that when they were, when, when it hit the fan, there's five guys in the pig pile, you know, there's usually backup right there. If you're, um, if you're more remote, it's sometimes you got to kind of, uh, buy yourself some time or make it through until your help gets there. Yeah, it can be pretty violent. It can be a pretty lonely feeling uh, in a car stop, for example, and it goes south and it turns very, very bad, and your nearest backup is 15 miles away. Absolutely. Yeah, there, um, it, there's a weird um, kind of thing in the ether now, too, that I've reinserted back into law enforcement is I feel I feel a little bit like people feel a little bit more entitled to to push back on you for even just doing normal police things like just stopping someone for speeding. I feel like the climate in the country, um, the political climate kind of allows people or gives them that if they were already kind of leaning that way towards, you know, not really liking authority or police, they feel like they have a little bit of a license now to, to, um, you know, get a little agitated with you, which I, which I've kind of found interesting in even working in a, a remote area is kind of, kind of strange. Are you encountering more of that now than you were 10, 15 years ago? Absolutely. Yeah. And the, the one thing people do now all the time is they record you, uh, which, you know, I don't care. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I've, I've been on, I've been recorded and put on YouTube before um, doing police stuff and it was no issue, but it's, it's a little bit odd. You know, they, they think they're getting you. They're like the, usually it's, it's someone who's kind of a, He's called like a booking room lawyer. Like they're telling you how it's going to go and they know the law and you're, you're nothing but a no, you know, no good. No, not, you don't know anything because you're a police officer type of person, you know? Um, It's just, I think it's weird. We're, we're a lot of times we're filming them. They're filming us. It's just whole, (laughs) it's kind of ridiculous. the cameras, I would think. Yes. Yes, exactly. You know, we had a philosophy back in the day, and I was I was trained by Vietnam combat veterans, and we had a couple 
Korean War veterans who are commanders, command staff level officers. But I was trained. And the rule of thumb we had was always treat people with respect until they change the tone of the conversation. Then there's no backing down. And as rules really applied in their houses, in front of their friends, but it was a juggling act. And, and we had things as a term used many years ago, verbal judo. We would say things that quite often people found nowadays would be very offensive. And what it was done was to, de- to defuse situations and take the use of force out of scenario. And quite often to avoid arresting people. Is that being limited by the use of cameras now? Are you are you guys even being trained in verbal judo? It's tough. Um, you know, most agencies have the cameras now, and it's but it, getting used to it's tough. And you kind of feel like you don't know what you can say and what's going to fly and what's not. Because, like you said, some harsh language at the right moment can really, if if you're dealing with the kind of person that needs that, can really back them off the ledge the back down for a second that you need. And it does make guys and gals when they're new to the cameras, kind of um, you're, cause you're kind of, you're, you're feeling out your admin cause they're going to review these and that's how you're going to learn what they're cool with. You know, I think over the last few years, it seems like it's kind of evened out and they're good with police work like that. It's okay. I mean, all kinds of things happen with body cameras and people leave them on when they go to the bathroom and you know, you get people doing their hair and singing on camera and, uh, all this stuff is just kind of like you can just mark it as a test or whatever. They review it and delete it. But um, Thank goodness for delete button because I'll tell you what, <laughs> they caught me singing on camera and no one wanted to hear that nonsense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, um, it, it is tough, though, like we're, especially if you're a neighboring towns and one, one agency has cameras and one doesn't. And then, you know, you're always trying to let everybody there know, hey, you know, we're, we're going to record the whole thing. It was kind of like that when I worked on the Cape, the, we had – federal park rangers they were the first ones to get cameras so we'd go to a call there and you know national seashore visiting center someone who's who's being outrageous or causing a public disturbance and you know certain things are said and you say things to kind of encourage someone to comply with you rather than hurt them and uh that all goes on camera and i remember leaving a few situations like i hope that's okay <laughs> i don't know apparently it was because you're still here you're still policing and the whole body camera thing, to be totally honest with you, when they first started being implemented across the United States, I thought to myself, there's no way I'd want body cameras. I, w- I wouldn't want to be in the street with the body camera. And here's the main reason why. We would use discretion. And believe it or not, people don't understand this concept. We'd use discretion quite a bit. We wouldn't lock up and arrest everybody that could be arrested. Quite often, you would do things that if you had a body camera on, you, my opinion, you would be limited and you'd be forced into arresting people. Thank goodness some laws are changing. I won't get more elaborate than that. However, nowadays, I don't think I'd ever be a police without a body camera. And if, even if my age didn't have one, I think I'd buy my own because 99.9% of the discourtesy complaints against me would have been found dis- unfounded immediately because... These cameras have proved the truth, and they've been doing that time and time again, yet people don't seem to believe it. Yeah, isn't it, isn't it funny that all of a sudden the lobby, the people, the group that wanted these cameras because the police are corrupt and we're going to expose them, now that everybody has cameras, they could care less if you have one or not. Yeah, and or even worse. the reason you said. Even worse is it's all caught on camera. And granted, these are not fisheye lenses. They don't capture everything. You see things that are corner of your eye. You don't, it's not captured on camera. But 
when everything is presented in video as it occurred and it justifies the police's actions showing it wasn't illegal, wasn't immoral, wasn't uh, unconscionable, whatever terms people want to use, they still don't believe it. They still think, oh, the video is being edited and it doesn't matter. So we're talking with Stephen Gold. He is a police officer in New England. He's also the host of the very popular podcast, Things Police See. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Hey folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. As click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Return a conversation with Steve Gold. Steve is a law enforcement officer in New England. He is also about 15 years doing law enforcement. This stint, we'll go back to that in a moment. He's also hosts the very popular podcast, Things Police See. You were a police officer working in law enforcement for a period of time, then left it, pursuing the West Coast dream, and came back and doing about, is it about 15 years this time? About, yep, total. So, 15 years in law enforcement. There's got to be a lot of good, a lot of bad, and some downright ugly in there. In your 15 years of law enforcement, what do you say would be, would, would be the worst situation you've been in? Uh, I'll pick one. There's a few, as you can imagine. Um, I went to one night I was investigating uh, a beanie in the north part of my my um, my sector. For no, no, non-police in. people, that's, bur- that's breaking and entering. Right. Right. So I'm there. Um, crime scene the photographer had showed up to do prints and pictures. And while I'm there, a call comes in for a crash on the highway. And, you know... You hear that, you know, it's usually serious. It's, you know, it's probably, I don't know, midnight, 11 p.m. maybe. Uh, highway, cars go faster. Crashes can be worse. Okay, I got to beat feet and get there. So I tell the, the crime scene guy, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to wrap. I got my statements. I'll get a hold of you later for the evidence. Take off. Um, get there. My, my partner that night was already there. He, academy mate also, so, and guy I went to high school with, a friend of mine. And it was a a rollover crash, and it was a, a um, convertible. So this car skidded over the highway, went down an embankment that was also a um, restaurant parking lot. So you go down like a little ramp to get down, kind of in a little depression off mm-hmm. the side of the road. This car rolled over multiple times, flipped, dropped about. 10 feet down into this parking lot, landed, boom, right in front of the restaurant in a parking space. Like it parked there. Lights on, state, state, uh, stereo blaring, uh, Shania Twain. I'll never forget that, you know, music. But in the driver's seat, kind of um, can, contorted, distorted, and broken is the body of a, you know, like 25-year-old female. And when she had... I don't want to get too graphic on her show, but you know, when she had rolled over, she was, she was strapped in initially, 
but her head hit the top of the pave, hit the pavement as, as the car rolled because it's convertible. And you can imagine what that would do. So when I, I run up and my buddy, my partner's there, you can tell it, it's bad. Um, up against the wall of the restaurant are these two people. And it's a good contrast of law enforcement or emergency personnel and non-emergency personnel. So these people are like green in color. They're just like washed out and off color. And there, there actually were two psychologists um, or psychiatrists from Boston. They were down visiting and they witnessed the whole thing. And then they ran up to try to help the woman. And it was clearly no help uh, could be done. So they were traumatized. They were like almost speechless. Um, so we were dealing with them, dealing with that problem. We get, uh, you know, investigators on the way. We shut down the scene and then Sergeant shows up and, you know, one of us has to stay there and help fire department and investigators with the body. Not a great job, you know, <laughs> not, not something you'd want to do. And the other person, which ended up being me had to go to uh, her mother's house oh. and tell her what had happened and also her four-year-old son. Death notifications so, are the absolute worst. Yeah, absolutely. There's, so there, my night, there's nothing my, that really prepares you for that. I, I go back very quickly to being a 22-year-old, getting a call and a dispatcher, go to this address, locate so-and-so, and if you find them, tell them they're, I'm, I can't remember, their 23-year-old son was killed in a car accident in Ohio. And I was 22. Yeah. And I'm like, I, th- I thought I had it going on. At that moment, you realize, Steve, that, that you have no, all you can do is tell people. And the range of emotions is extreme. Yes, absolutely. The, um, you know, it's funny. You don't, you don't know how everybody reacts differently. There's different categories of how people react to hearing this kind of trauma. You know, so I, I, I went, it was in a different jurisdiction. So I teamed up with, um, thankfully, one of their agency's officers, volunteered to go with me, went there. And, you know, people do funny things when you tell them something like this, uh, you know, cause this woman had just, had just seen her daughter. She let her borrow her convertible to go out with her friends for the night. She, you know, sitting at home with the, with the baby uh, waiting for her to come back. And the first thing the woman said was she stared at me in disbelief and then said, I need to call and work cause I probably can't go to work in the morning. And that was her reaction. And that's not what you expect. Couple, couple minutes later, when she's done processing, I'm sitting there with her, with the other officer, and then it all comes out. And then she starts going through the stages. And, you know, you're, so there's a, a traumatic event, a sad event. And then this, on top of it, you're, you'll spend time with a person like this for as long as they need. I mean, I'm not going to leave. Uh, you sit there until someone else can come be with them or you sit there until they convince you that they're comfortable, but you know, sat there for over an hour with her and um, there, that, that whole event really stayed with me to this day. That really affected me. Um, and I'll, I'll honestly never forget it. When you mention that it, it's a part of policing that Hollywood doesn't seem to really portray very often or my honest opinion, they don't do a very good job period about it, but the human aspect of spending time with people, and I, I tell people this all the time in Baltimore, quite often the last face that people who are shot and killed see is a Baltimore police officer. And you're sitting there talking to him. I did it many times, Steve, where you talk to him, you're trying to convince him it's going to be okay. And there's people in the background 
acting like it's free entertainment, like it's Saturday night at the movies. And by the way, you mentioned the Shania Twain song. There's one song that gets to me still. It's Ace of Base, It Takes Two. It seems like for a year, every time we're at a murder scene or somewhere going on, that song was blaring somewhere in the background. And it reminds me of it, it reminds me of those incidents. It really does. Yeah, yeah. That's I remember from the cra- that crash there was a wood stove, very still night, and there's a wood stove across the, across the highway and the smoke was billowing down into the scene the whole time. And for years, I used to love the smell of a wood stove. For years, I would smell a wood stove and go, oof, that night, you know? When we look at this incident, and I, I appreciate you sharing it. And by the way, I forgot to say this early on. Thank you for your service. It's very much appreciated. This oh, is thank you. part of policing that really people don't hear about. The, the, the effects of, and I can only imagine for you, being on scene, hoping that you can do something to save this person's life. And then when you realize they're beyond help, it's it's not deflating is not the right word it's crushing absolutely yeah yeah it's um especially a young person with their whole life ahead of them you know it's it's one thing when you go to the call and you know it's it's always sad but if it's an elderly person or someone who's had a long life um but a young person or a kid always always so hard yeah the kid part i i the kid part really hasn't i'm not found a solution to that and uh, the young people, I'm talking, we had 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 16, 17 being shot and killed. And here, here's the really crushing part of this. When I was a young patrolman in the summer, summertime, the weather was nice, Saturday morning before it got busy, you'd meet a lot of these kids and you get to spend time with them. And it was a highlight of your day. We didn't get to do it often. And then I can tell you on two or three times where these kids that I met, especially the, the young males uh, got into the drug game and they were shot and killed by their drug dealer because they were fronted drugs and they came up short on the count one too many times and that's the reality of what a lot of our children face in uh, modern american cities we're talking with steve gold steve is a police officer in new england he's also host of the very popular podcast things police see there's so much more to talk about we're talking about some good things from his career and then his podcast, we return on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. Have I got a deal for you? No, I'm not trying to sell you a bridge or swampland. Enter contests for your chance to win great prizes by subscribing to the Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Return a conversation with Steve Gold. Steve is a police officer in New England. Has been for about 15 years, and he is also host of a very popular podcast, Things Police See, which we will talk about 
in a few moments. Now, Steve, thanks for sharing candidly uh, one of the worst case stories you went through. Now, let's go to a different direction because Hollywood, in my opinion, and I say Hollywood, that means the news, television, movies, social media as well, doesn't portray the millions of great things that cops do every day in the United States. Do you have a particular story from your experience that you would love to share that contradicts that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, agencies I've worked for in the past have done many things like, you know, like delivered um, turkeys on Thanksgiving and presents for kids and kind of stuff agencies do. But a, a more personal uh, a more personal note would be at one point I responded to a, a teenager who was in crisis, um, suicidal, had attempted, you know, kind of impishly to cut his wrists and clearly needed help. So you never know how those are going to go. I show up. Uh, I'm, I'm new, very new sergeant there. We end up chatting with him, and uh, you know he's just having a very hard time at it. I don't believe uh, Dad was in the home. You know the family had some issues going on, so he needed to go speak with somebody, and it it was peaceful. He didn't pick the knife up again. He didn't fight with us. He ended up going, but I remember he was he was so sad, and he just was almost inconsolable about how he felt at the age of, you know, like 13 or 14. And that stuck with me. Well, a few years later, um, I'm doing a a police detail at the, at the prom, the high school prom. And I'm standing there at the door with the other cop. We're kind of just chatting, chewing the fat and in comes this kid. And he's got a girl on his arm. He's all grown up. As they say, he's smiling, gives me a wave. How you doing? And goes in and uh, to me, that was just that was just so awesome to see. You know, and that's and that's another plug for um, for policing in a smaller area where you can actually see people who you've you know attempted to help um, kind of get better. So to me, that was um, a really nice moment in my career. Man, you brought so many good memories back. I, I recall times where people that had really bad alcohol problems that we dealt with all the time or drug problems. We would deal with these people like every Friday night, like clockwork. They'd be call here for domestic family dispute. They're drunk. And they would approach you a year too late, too later and say, thank you for, for treating me with dignity and care. I've been sober now two years. And cause it's funny, all of a sudden all those Friday night calls stopped at that place. And when they come up to you afterwards and thank you for what you do, Man, I'll, I'll tell you, Steve. I don't know. There's a better feeling at all. No, it's it. It is great. Um, it is. It's like a changed person, you know. And I had I've had people that I work with too. I had a sergeant I work with who just a heck of a guy, and uh, he was um, big in AAA, the big book, and all that stuff. And he had people write him from prison. Yeah, you know, they wanted to get sober. He had that much of an impact during booking on their life. So. Um, it does happen, and it's it's wonderful to see. And like you said earlier, um, my father told me he was a police lieutenant for 32 years, retired now. When I became a cop, he said, you know, dignity, dignity and respect for all people you deal with. You'll know when it's time to turn it on. When it's time to not be nice, you'll know. But he said, you know, you get these, you arrest these people, you have them in the booking room. It's it's the worst day of their life, regardless of what's, it might be a normal day for you. It's the worst day of their life, probably. And you're probably going to see them at the grocery store or out and about, or, you know, you're going to see them again. So um, always treat them with dignity and uh, respect. 
Man, because you can't you can't come back from the alternatives. Uh, we were taught, and I'm sure you can relate to this. We were issued a 38 revolver, a balsa wood nightstick. We all trade those in for great big table legs. Uh, <laughs> a, a mace that only worked on civilians, innocent bystanders, and police. Never worked on the bad guys. But we were taught <laughs> the number one weapon we had was our brain, and that we were doing something. Another catchphrase being used by politicians and activists a lot. We were de-escalating before it was a thing. And I'm sure you're in your career, you've been de-escalating situations like you talked about this young guy way before it became a thing, as if we weren't doing this for 100 years. It's so funny you say that. I'm I'm going through our in-service now. You know, every year, police officers and all, these, and all the states have to go through a certain amount of training, on-the-job training. And it, it, that's one of the things is like, you know, have you ever thought of de-escalating? It's like, yeah, we all do this all the time, but they they really harp on it because they need to be able to put put it on paper that we told these guys and girls about de-escalation. Well, that's that's like the whole job. Of course, we want to de-escalate. We don't want to deal with a big problem. We yeah. want it to go away. You know, it just comes naturally. First of all, the amount of riding you have to do with reports. Anytime you use force, it is hours and hours report writing. Then you run the risk of being suspended, indicted, arrested, hurt, losing your health insurance for you and your family. All those things are suspended without pay. No one wants to do that. We always want to de-escalate. I won't beat that. Police always want to de-escalate. And it, it kind of cracks me up. This in-service you talked about, we did it every year. And it was four days of classroom. And then one day at the range and we're covering law. We're covering sensitivity training, all these other things. We're doing it back in 1980. And nowadays we hear activists talking about, you need to do more of this. You need to have sensitivity training. You need to have this, you know, man, as if we were living in a stone age and didn't know anything about this forever. (laughs) I know it, especially you were from a large agency. Um, I've been shocked and talking to some guests before that, Large agencies have been very progressive. Like you said, you were probably doing this stuff 20 years before a lot of smaller agencies started doing it. So it's like preaching to the choir for you guys. Absolutely. We we heard every kind of course there is. And I want to go back to something you said earlier. Then we we'll talk about your podcast. When you encounter people that think they know more about the law, we went through five months of the academy, heavy, heavy law. Every day we'd have roll call training when there was updates about law that would be covered. And we had yearly in service, four days of classroom, where we had to study the latest cases, case law, especially Supreme Court law and state case law and how it affected what we did. We were in it all the time. It, it, and people love to portray police as stupid, ignorant Neanderthals and knuckle draggers. And I look like that guy, but I am not that guy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you really got, it's, we're going to the books all the time and people don't understand. It's such a dynamic job and there's such a big learning curve becoming a police officer. They say it's five years, three to five years to really become confident in yourself and still sergeants and, and senior officers are still looking stuff up. I mean, there is so many scenarios that can happen that the police have to deal with and wear all these different hats, it's, it's, you got to be a really, really good problem solver to be successful. Let's shift gears. Let's talk about your podcast. You started a podcast called Things Police See. How long did you do that? The podcast started in 2018. 
And where can people get more information? Where can they listen? Where can they subscribe? Well, luckily for me, one of the listeners liked the show so much, he built me a website. So you can go to um, thingspolicey.com. And that has all the info, all the links, the apps where you can download and listen, or you can listen directly from the website. And can people contact you there, Steve? Yep. You can click on contact at the bottom, or you can just write to me at uh, steve at thingspolicey.com. And by the way, Steve's podcast is part of the LET Podcast Network, and it's also on our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Steve, thanks so much for your service, and thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click like and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.